Thank you. Let's stand up in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1 this evening. Daniel chapter 1, we'll read verses 6 through 8, and then jump over to chapter 3. The Bible says, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Although we should know them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, heathen names. He gave to Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's mead, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now go with me to chapter 3. Reverse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I'm going to preach on the subject tonight of Rearing and Azariah. You say, Pastor, it mentions three. We'll just pick Azariah and stick with him. Uh, three Hebrews, we know the story. Uh, the fiery furnace, three Hebrews that knew how to stand, but knew how to stand in Babylon. And the further and further we watch our society distance himself, not just from God, but anything moral, anything biblical, anything logical, as we watch the decay, uh, someone asked me the other day, do you think God is angry with America? Absolutely. Anybody that has taken steps to defy his word and blaspheme his great name, obviously, it would create some righteous anger. But in this case, here's what we see in the midst of the, the wickedness. And don't think for a minute that our day is any more vile than any other day. The, this kingdom was absolutely vile to the core, the king, the politicians. And there, uh, Daniel, we know the circumstances. The three, three boys pulled out of their homes and brought uh, here to uh, Babylon. But here's what we see in, in parents. Here's what I want to stress tonight. These are times that demand that we focus on raising as a rise. We as parents are way too distracted. Life and its demands and everything that's required. And I know the cost of everything in life is going up. And the more we see the price of gas increase, the more people think, what am I going to do to save a buck? What am I going to do to make a buck? And if we're not careful, we'll allow all of these things to forget our main duty uh, outside of our relationship with God is the rearing of godly children. Now, Cap City, if this church is not rearing godly children, I don't know where we're going to, to go to find that. I can't harp on enough. I can't hammer it enough. I can't emphasize it enough. What these young people are living is they grow up in these circumstances and in these homes and in 
uh, the, the Christian school and the Bible college. It's a spiritual vacation. This is a spiritual haven, uh, a spiritual bubble where they're protected from the normal difficulties. I spoke last night to our Spanish teens and I talked to them, conversed, everyone in that room, each one of those Spanish kids come from homes recently say they all go to public school. And we talked about surviving the public school environment as a Christian in this day and age. And just about everyone seated in this hot tour tonight has the privilege or has had the privilege of not just growing up in a Christian home, but spending every single one of their years, their school years, in a Christian environment and not the average Christian school, because the average Christian school ought to take Christian off of its name because there's everything except Christian behavior taking place in that environment. But here truly, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. Uh, living for God is encouraged. And I worry, I worry about kids that struggle to do right, and we've seen it repeatedly, kids that struggle to do right in this environment have no chance in Babylon. Absolutely none. Now, I do not know that Scripture does not mention who the parents were. I would have liked to have met these parents or heard something, found something in Scripture about these parents because obviously you have parents that instilled in them a backbone that was absolutely uh, steel because in these circumstances, everything against them absolutely Everything in their culture, their society, the, the minute they woke up in the morning, having been placed in that palace, the pressure was intense to conform. Now, here's, here's what the world does. This world demands that everyone bow. Everyone, here's what we think. This is just uh, socialism that has taken place. It's actually not socialism. At this point, we're turning towards communism. Communism is socialism by force. That's what we're quickly racing to in the United States of America. If you are a socialist, you need to re-engage your brain. Uh, why here are we, we trying to bring socialism to America when we have uh, people flooding across our borders to come here to escape socialism? How many realize our whole problem with illegal immigration and those terms still ought to be used. Our whole problem with illegal immigration is the fact that people do not want to remain in and under governments that are socialist. Canada and Mexico have never had to build a wall to keep Americans out. Amen. Americans are not trying to get into any other country. Some of these socialists said that if Trump were elected, they'd find another place to go, and then they lied. They didn't go. No matter who offered to buy their tickets, one-way tickets, they, they didn't follow through with that promise, regrettably. But if you are embracing socialism. Don't be offended tonight, but you're stupid with a capital S. Stupid, because history has taught us all that's not a great form of government to live under. If you enjoy freedom, if you enjoy 
financial success. And the only financial success comes with a position in the government. Amen. And here's what we see. They were living under extremely uh, intolerant, uh, an extremely intolerant government. And those are the days that we are racing towards. But don't think that's unique. Since Daniel was written, there have been people all around the world living under these kind of circumstances and many dying for their faith. We just lived in a protective bubble called the United States of America during a time in our history where it was very advantageous to live for God and go to church and be a independent fundamental Baptist. But those days are quickly changing. But the world's always demanded. And as we race closer to the end times, the Antichrist, who during the second half of the tribulation will be Satan incarnate, will demand worship. But that's what Satan has always wanted. And that's what Satan's minions that find themselves in political office want as well. They want everyone to bow to their godless behavior, to their godless philosophies the anti-biblical form of thinking. These boys are under 24-7 pressure. And as Christians in America, we're just now starting to face a little bit of opposition. And you can tell it's very uncomfortable for the average Christian. Now, here's basically what they're told. If, if you conform and if you do what you're told to do, life will be great. You can have a great life. Just simply nod your head and conform to this godless culture that we have created. And if you bow to this statue of Nebuchadnezzar, everything will be fine. Uh, and if not, life could become disastrous very quickly, and it may include death. Yeah. And no trial, no jury. Right. Basically, he said, uh, guys, I'm going to give you a half a second to change your mind. And if not, uh, we're not going to give you lawyers to defend yourself. We're going to open up the lid, heat it seven times hotter, and throw you in. So take a pick. And we act today as if things were hot. No, this is hot. This is heat. This is opposition. We don't know anything of that. Now, here is my concern, Capital City. If we're not focused on raising Azarias, if, if they're wavering to do right and live for God, if they're, if they're struggling to read the Bible, you know, why, you know why we have Christians can't even show up on a Sunday night or Wednesday night? They're not producing Azarias. There's not even a spiritual backbone to set an example for the kids in the home. If your children see inconsistencies in you and in your spiritual walk, I'll tell you what you're producing. It's going to become very obvious what you're producing. You're not going to produce someone that is strong in their spiritual character, but extremely weak. It won't take opposition. They won't be able to overcome their flesh, let alone the world. And if we're not showing spiritual character, spiritual stamina, and spiritual desire, and spiritual fortitude, we're certainly not going to be producing a generation of Azarias that know how to stand when the pressure is increased. And how many of you see that pressure is being increased every single day? Amen. There was a time when I thought that spiritual leadership, 
in the church, pastors and assistants, are probably going to find themselves in jail at some point because the direction our government is going. Although we're talking about this group is the most law-abiding group of citizens in the city. But at some point, they're going to make serving God, doing right, obeying Bible commands illegal. Now, let me ask you this. If you can't stand for God with this kind of cheerleading squad around you, I mean, you, everywhere you go, young people, you've got people in pom-poms yelling your name, shouting your praises, helping you out, encouraging you to do right. You're the star. What's going to happen when suddenly you've got a target on you and you're the enemy? What happens when you don't bow to the transgender insanity that this world is promoting? What happens when you simply stand up and say, if a man was born a male, he'll die a male no matter what surgical procedure is done to his body or what kind of chemicals is placed in his body or how high he tries to speak or how softly he tries to do whatever he's doing. Amen? He doesn't change the fact that God chose biologically. You say, Pastor, you mention these things often. Yes, to make you nervous. Because it doesn't make me nervous. You know, the first 25 years of my ministry, I never mentioned these things one time. Because it wasn't ever needed. And now we're living in times when it's absolutely necessary. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what happens. At some point, you're going to be pressured and make a choice what you're willing to risk losing. It may be a job. Now, here's the problem. If that backs you down, if that sends shivers down your spine, if that discourages you, you're going to have a lot of problems in this life because there's a lot of people out there that know how to look mean and threaten and try to get you to cower simply because you don't bow to their philosophy. You watch what happens if Roe versus Wade is tweaked at all or overturned or you want to talk about craziness in the streets and the... The real heart of a person revealed. And uh, just today the news of someone hanging out by Kavanaugh's house. Uh, seeking to do him physical harm. We live in a nation where if you do not bow. Look what it says about this. This is repeated every single day right here in what once was considered a Christian nation. Look what it says in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar, when he found out someone didn't bow, what's it say? Full of what? How many of you have experienced someone because you did not bow to their philosophy? They call us intolerant because we believe the Bible. Isn't it amazing we want to reach anyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We will not participate in their behavior, the godless behavior, but we'll certainly love them and get them the gospel. Intolerance is the one that says you should die. He was full of fury. Hold on for a second. And the form of his visage was changed. Have you ever been there? Someone's face literally is transformed into Satan. You can see it. Blood pressure goes up. 
You are anti-abortion? You believe that there's no way that a male can be a lesbian? (laughs) Hold on for a minute. If you have any logical sight at all, they're going to become full of rage. Their visage is going to change. But that's not new. This, This took place thousands of years ago, young people. But some parent had taught these boys, some mom had sat down with Azariah and said, things are not looking good and we have dealt with the prophecy. And Jeremiah has said, at some point, that Babylonian army is going to come in. Bad things are going to happen. And if you survive, if you survive with your life, then you're going to have to survive with your Christianity. You're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to grow a backbone. Young people, this is as easy as it gets. You get, matter of fact, if, if you try to go the opposite way, there's discouragement. And for living for God, there's continual encouragement. But at some point, that's going to change. And then there's going to be a true revelation of whether or not you have developed your own convictions, your own Bible doctrine based on the Word of God, and the ability to stand. Amen. Worship me or else. And they said, or else. And that did not make the king happy. Now here's what the world says. They believe that everyone ought to turn off their brains. And believe their godless philosophies and embrace their godless orders. And you've got to teach your children there are two kings and two kingdoms. I'm an American. And I thank God for that. And we have a president, and I'm not as thankful for that. But here's what I will do. As long as there's not something that goes contrary to the word of God, I have no problem obeying the laws, following the rules, and living according to the demands of our country. But at any point where God's word is violated and I'm commanded to violate God's law, things change. Because the king of heaven trumps any king of earth. And if we're told to bow and worship a statue, they say, Pastor, that will not happen. Oh, it certainly will. It actually happens on a regular basis. It's amazing how many people are bowing to corporations. Miss church on a Sunday won't bow to God, but they'll bow to a corporation. Bow to a a business, bow to a boss. Oh, there's a million things, and we're not going to go that direction. But uh, as parents, we have to be training our kids. And parents, yes, I'm going to express concern because I'm your pastor. That's okay if I express concern. It concerns me when we have this kind of environment and yet in this environment we have kids struggling, struggling spiritually. Well, pastor, it's teenage years. As if teenage years means suddenly they have to become a disaster. No, you prefabricate an excuse for them to do wrong. I don't care if you're 13 or 16 or 19. Someone said, it's not when you're in church, but when you're out at church. It's not when you're in the Christian school, but when you're out in the world. It's not when you're young, but at any age, you ought to be able to stand up on your own two feet 
and do what's right, and no one should have to be leaning over you, encouraging you, helping you. Some point, you've got to grow a backbone that's made out of something besides spaghetti. You've got to stand on your own two feet, building up your most, your, not mama's most holy faith, because mama's most holy faith ain't going to carry you through life. This was not mama's most holy faith that took Azariah through Babylon standing up and doing right. It was mama who, daddy, who put deep within him the need and then allowed him to be tested. Now, here's, we read chapter one because here's where I believe compromise started. It started back there when the king said, you're going to eat this meat and drink this wine. Now, you know enough of Jewish laws. I mean, good night. Those boys had a lobster thrown on their plate. You know how many have said, well, we've never had lobster before. We've never had pork ribs before. We've never had milk in our lentil stew before. This sounds pretty good to us. And Azariah said, no, it's not happening. I, I've, been parts, I've been in parts of the country, I'm shocked, where you, you, you have kids that, we're talking about five and six-year-olds, who, who will sit and watch other kids eat and refuse to eat because they'll say, no, that's not kosher. Kids, five, six, seven years old. No, I'm not going to eat sweet because mom told me not to eat sugar. But we have kids that are 17 or 18, can't say no to the most basic of sins after having been born and raised in a Christian environment for 17 years. They can't say no to the wrong kind of music. They can't say yes to Bible reading. They can't say no to a bad attitude. They can't stand up in a Christian school where 95% of the kids want to do right, and there's two that want to do wrong, and they gravitate towards the other one. Somebody needs to stand up and say, I want to make sure that I am raising an Azariah. And if you can't get that child to obey you at three you're not raising an Azariah. You're raising a son of Belial. Number two, Azariahs don't happen by accident. They're not born Azariahs. It's not because you christened them, because you dedicated them. It wasn't because they got saved or baptized or discipled or went to Sunday school or the club program or the Christian school. It wasn't because they memorized five chapters of the Bible. It was because the parents said... I want to raise this child. I'm going to maintain some spiritual goals and goals and a definitive purpose. And parents, dads are so spiritually absent, and moms are so preoccupied, and kids and their behavior are soon justified. You say, I don't worry about my kids. I do. Why does Pastor worry about your kids more than you do? Our children have got to be thoroughly instructed in the Lord of God. They've got to be taught standards, doctrine, holiness, convictions. Because most of them, the furnace, now hold on for a second. The furnace for them is the furnace of affliction. You know what that means? If, if I have some, some other teenage kids that just say, oh, don't try to be super holy and righteous, Uriah. So I'm not going to be super holy and righteous. It is astounding to me how weak this generation of young people 
spiritually speaking, how weak they are. And that all goes back on the parents who've never said, I don't care what school you go to. I don't care who you're, you have no excuse for making a wrong decision or doing the wrong thing. Don't come to me and tell me why you did it. I'll tell you why you did it. You chose to do it because you're spiritually weak. So make a spiritual decision to choose to do right. You have been taught since you were a baby what to do and what not to do, including you have a Holy Spirit of God inside of you that should be active enough to rebuke you when you go to do the wrong thing. So if you've chosen to do the wrong thing, you had to trample over the Word of God and the Spirit of God and an authority sent by God to sneak around that and trample on this. And you've got to grow your own spiritual backbone because your parents can't do that. They're going to have to guide you and help you and instruct you. But parents, at some point, it, it, it's unbelievable how we protect these kids from everything they shouldn't be protected from and don't protect them from that which they need protected from. You need to make sure that parents, Christian parents saying, uh, you know what, uh, I'm going to have to punish you, so I'm not going to allow you to go to the youth activity. I was going to say you need a brain transplant, but James has. You need an MRI to see if you have one. You don't punish your children for an offense by keeping them from doing a spiritual activity. I promise you, Ben will preach the devil out of them. Don't reward them by keeping them from having the devil preached out of them. Convictions like these boys, they're not building a day. That doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen alone. These are parents that stay focused and say, I want to prepare you for the day, for the moment, when I will not be here and you must stand alone and the opposition will be great. And if you can't do right when it's totally legal, what are you going to do when it's illegal? If you don't have a backbone to do right when you're being loved and encouraged, what are you going to do when it's discouraged? What we see is a deliberate act of faith. And here's what they're doing. Your young person, your child is either developing a fear of man or a fear of God. It's that simple. And, and some of you ought to check. It's just we have leadership now that are too politically correct. But, but too often as a parent, you fall into the pool the cesspool of self-deception, and think, oh, no, my kids are pretty strong. Why don't you get someone with eyes looking from a different perspective and a different angle and ask them that question? You probably don't because you probably know what they will say. You don't want the rude awakening of someone saying, your child is inherently spiritually weak. You know what happened? I would love for every single one of these kids, they look sharp and they talk sharp and they act sharp. But if they're not tested now to some degree where they stand up, instead of caving, they shouldn't be the one caving. They should be the one standing up saying, no, we don't have that kind of behavior in our Christian school. No, that kind of thing should never happen. Why do we need a principal in an environment like this where kids have grown up in Christian homes their whole life? Why do we need a principal? Shouldn't we have enough peer pressure in a positive way? The junior and senior leadership said, no, we don't do that here. 
We don't talk like that here. We don't act like that here. We don't watch those things here. We don't have those kind of conversations here. If they can't shut it down in a Christian environment, how are they going to stand in the world's environment? Here they are. This king is angry. Now here's what we have to instill them. We have to instill them a but if not mindset. It says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Azariah answered and said to the king, when he gives them a second chance, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're, we're not even careful. He is, okay, he is not happy. And he says, I'm going to give you like a half a second to change your mind. And they said, oh, don't worry about it, king. We don't need a half a second. You don't have to give us another chance. We're looking forward to the fiery furnace. You, you know what? You, you, you might as well chuck us in now. If, if it be so, our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us. We, we have an almighty God, and he could deliver us. If he, if he wants to, he can keep us from being burned, or he could even actually keep us from being thrown in. But he said he could deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But, but if not, be known unto thee, O king, that will not serve thy gods. You know how much Christianity today is it's bargaining with God? God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. God, if you help me out here, if you give me that job, God, if you smile on me, God, if you open up this door, God, God doesn't bargain. God gives clear-cut demands and we obey. That's it. It's that cut and dry. And with them, they said, it doesn't matter. And Johnny, the only way you're going to make it at Oracle or any other company is for you to say, I'm going to stand up Bible principle and I'm going to do right. And I hope that's okay in this company, but if not... I'm still going to do right. And you know, people, I'm thankful for the time that God has delivered me. But if you don't have philosophy that says, I'm going to do right no matter what the consequence is. How many Christian young people say, I'm going to do wrong no matter what the consequence is? Expelled from the Christian school. Loss of testimony. Pregnancy. Whatever it is. They just determine it doesn't matter what the consequence is. I'm going to go ahead and do the wrong thing. What if, we, what if we establish in every Christian young people, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what the consequence is. I don't have to be liked, and I don't have to have a boyfriend when I'm 19, and, and I don't have to be the hip flavor of the month, and I don't have to be the love of everyone's life, and I don't have to be the popular person. None of that matters. Here's what I have to be. I have to be biblical, and I have to be godly, and I have to honor God, and that's what I have to worry about. And if someone else is not excited about that, that's okay, too. I'm good with that. I went to Bible college. I was 17, just turned 17. Who in here is 17? Who just turned? Anybody here just turned 17? Those two back there. Guy with gray hair in the back wall and the bald guy back there with the gray beard. Matthew, you're 17? Yes, sir. I went to Bible college tonight at 17. And started working with a bunch of heathen. Went to work at a box factory. Bunch of blasphemers, godless, filthy mouth, vipers. I thank God for a dad that taught me, son, none of that matters. Every Friday, every Friday, Adam, are you going to go drink with us? We'll get you the beer. It doesn't matter. You're underage. No. We know you don't drink, but you can at least go with us. We turn on. There was no respect. I know sometimes there's people that show a little bit. There was no respect in any of them for anything that was God. And when I tried, we go to the break room. And uh, when I, I brought in my Bible, my extra large Bible, and would begin reading out loud, it didn't take two or three, two or three days of doing that. And the manager came in and pulled me aside and said, Adam, you can't read your Bible in the break room. I said, how is it that they can curse and tell filthy jokes and make the whole environment despicable 
I said, I'm not even talking as loud as them, but it's, it is not possible for me to read. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just asking you a question. It's not possible for me to read the Bible, but it's possible for them to sit in there and yell and tell filthy, filthy jokes. That's okay. He said, what's well, bothering them? I said, they're bothering me. Here's, here's what I'm thankful for. There wasn't, I'm thankful for a dad that instilled enough in me. There was never a moment of temptation. There was never a moment of fear. There was a, you know, it kind of looks like God when I started reading the Bible like that out loud, uh, a lot of strange looks. You, you know what that did to me? Nothing. I had a, a young lady in the class and I, she said, preacher, preacher, you're going real bald. You're almost getting to look like that guy that sits on the front porch and says, hey, get off my yard. I said, thank you very much for that compliment. I certainly appreciate it. But I felt like that guy, 17 or 18, sitting in that break room with the list of those guys cussing. I just want to get out of my yard. Your filthy conversations. We have a generation now fearful to carry their Bible, fearful to go sowing it, fearful to be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to Esther 8, and we'll be done. Here's what's astounding. Three... We don't know where Daniel was at at this moment, but three of them. Can you imagine this crowd? The music's playing, everyone laying down and staying down. And here are three men who are standing. I promise you this, there were other Jews there that were saying, guys, don't complicate our lives. Just get down. We're not blaspheming God. We still love God. We'll pray in this position. Just get down. What are you doing? Don't make us all look stupid. You don't have to be fanatical about this. Esther chapter 8 verse 9. Now, this is long after the Jews have been allowed to return to their land. How many of you remember Nehemiah, Ezra, it talks about 50,000 in that initial move back. Now, we're, we're talking about years later, a decree's been made Haman wants the Jews dead. You guys know the story of Esther, but here's the point I want to make. Esther 8, verse 9. Then there were the king's scribes, called at that time the third month, that is the month of Sivan. And on three and twentieth day thereof, it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, to the lieutenants, the deputies and rulers of the provinces, which are from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote the king Ahasuerus' name, sealed it with the king's ring, sent letters by post on horseback, riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together to stand for their life. So when Haman had this decree written, which was going to mean the slaughter of the Jews, when the king wrote a new decree allowing the Jews to defend themselves, he's making it clear there were Jews scattered abroad in all 127 provinces that were going to have to stand. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of Jews that had not returned. Now hold on for a second. Are you guys getting the picture? So when this decree was made and the music was played and the thousands, yea, hundreds of thousands bowed, there were a lot of Jews present. I don't think we could even say tens of thousands. 
100,000 plus at least. Can you imagine three boys and they're looking around and 100,000 of their friends are kneeling? Now, young people, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Right now, doing right, if it's hard, you've got problems. You've got, you have serious problems because hard hasn't started. Hard is not even going to be the opposition. Hard is going to be when the opposition takes place and you watch people that you loved and respected bow and explain to you the importance of bowing. And the question tonight is, not if you can stand right now. The question is, can you stand alone? Can you stand if Michael bows and Crispy bows? What if mom and dad bow? You know what Azariah does? Azariah says, I don't care who's bowing. And I don't care how awkward this feels. And I don't care about the furnace to come. There's a God in heaven who's mandated that I not bow and worship this image. You know what's going to happen during the tribulation? The whole world is going to bow to the image of the Antichrist. The whole world's going to bow. Hold on for a second. Those aren't people who never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Those are people who had no love of the truth, heard, denied, rejected, and embraced. Now, young people, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Things from this point, say, Pastor, you're trying to make us nervous. You try to bear bad news. No, come on. At this point, if you don't know that, you've chosen to be extremely ignorant. Things are not going to get easier. They're only going to get harder. As parents, we need to be teaching our kids. I've got a question for you. Why can't you do right when you have 500 people cheering you to do right and parents that have taught you to do right? an authority that's trained you to do right. Because I can already tell you what your future is. Faith plant. You're determined to do wrong if you're going against the flow because the flow here is going the right direction. My question is, do you have enough backbone? Not, not if you have backbone. Just because you can do right in this environment doesn't say anything about your backbone. It doesn't say you're growing a backbone. The real question is, when it's tested and the numbers dwindle, when you're not one of 50 you're one in thousands. You're the only one at that company that claims the name of Christ. And guess what? When this happened, let me ask you this. Was there anyone that questioned what they would do when the music played? It was already known what they were going to do. And I don't care what stage of life you're at, everyone around you ought to already know, no matter what the opposition, his choice is always going to be to do right. You ought to have that confidence in your leadership. You ought to have that confidence in your pastor. But your pastor ought to be able to have that confidence in you. In church, if we can't soul win when there's no jail sense for soul winning, when we can't be faithful to church when there's no opposition to attending church, there are deep-rooted spiritual problems. A backbone, David says, I don't care if I'm the only one that shows up for church. Last night, we are trying to establish men's prayer on Tuesday night, Spanish church. Last night was totally different. Large group on the reservation, other people gone, people filling in. So I went to my office, 6.30, no one was in there. Someone walked by and said, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray. I don't need 10 people in here to pray. Are you guys understanding? If we have to look around at each other and say, if we don't have a group, why pray? There's a spiritual problem 
when there's not initiative enough to say, I don't need a team. I don't need cheerleaders. I don't need help. I'm thankful for it. But at the end of the day, I need to have a spiritual backbone that says, opposition alone, problems, threats, because they are coming. And at some point soon, we saw this during COVID and preachers had to make a choice. Oh, no one was going to jail. But you saw pastors, I don't mean bowing, I mean face planting and gluing themselves to the floor to stay as low as possible. Say, Pastor, are you critical of that? Yes, absolutely I am. And if you have a pastor that's bowing, you ought to be critical. We need a generation of parents that are saying, I must be focused on raising an Azariah that has enough spiritual fortitude to withstand the pressures of the day and say, I don't need a cheerleading team. I've got a Holy Spirit. I've got a book. I've got a mandate from heaven. And that means I better be growing a backbone because at some point, Whatever you think you believe, it's going to be tested. Oh, God help us to raise the Masriah.